Well, hello and welcome to episode 183 of The Call Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths, and to say the least, I'm excited about this episode and the next couple that we have coming up as we sip our way through the magnificent black box, uh, our combination that we've been doing there with our friends from Carbon Cellars. A huge shout out to all the Bens and the team out at Carbon who've made this possible. So grateful to be part of it and just some amazing beers coming up. A uh, little spoiler alert, make sure you have the beers ready to go. Uh, you can buy them from our online store if you haven't already got them, or if you've already got one pack and you're drinking your way through it and you think, I'd love to taste what these beers are going to be like in six months or a year's time, just Google Cool Room Podcast Shopify and you'll find our Shopify store. Those packs are available there. Don't miss out. They're some of the most amazing Australian beers that you're going to have this year. Uh, and while you're there, you can check out some of the other packs that we've got for our online events coming up. Listen to the podcast, a great way to enjoy some beers with some great discussions in your ears. But, of course, you can join us online on Zoom as well. Uh, then after the Black Box series, we've got Third Moon Brewing joining us from Canada. Uh, we've got Braheny Brothers there in Richmond. We've got Behemoth from New Zealand joining us again back in the Australian market. We've got some great beers going to be available for that one. Uh, and then Bowden Brewing joining us as well. They're all of our online uh, shows. Make sure you follow us on Facebook to keep up to speed with all of those. And if you go to the events page, you'll find out not just how to join us online, but also how to join us in the flesh. We've got some really fun live events coming up as well. Some of our favourite venues, Beer Deluxe in the City of Melbourne uh, and the Flemken Bowls Club, another one of our most loved venues. <coughs> Make sure you get along to those. Support the podcast by buying some beer. Uh, it's how we can afford to keep things ticking along. Uh, and today you'll be listening to three of Australia's most loved breweries and brewers. Uh, we've got Hawker's. We've got Fox Friday and we've got Boat Rocker on the show today. A great lineup of breweries. Uh, look, they're big beers. There are multiple standard drinks in each of the cans. And so take your time while listening. You'll hear us move pretty clearly from beer to beer in our discussions. So if you haven't finished your can, just press pause, have a little break and savour the beer that you're enjoying before you move on to the next one. Uh, we don't really recommend that you try to drink them all uh, while in the time frame that the podcast will go for. Uh, in a few seconds' time, I'm going to hand over to my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu. Uh, we love our beer discussions. Mr. Wu is actually in the room with me for the recording uh, of this podcast. We've never really done it like that before. We're both living in temporary accommodation while we renovate our houses and just happen to be in the same neighbourhood. So we're together for that. Uh, you'll hear us slowly figuring out how to make that work. Uh, it's all part of the process that we enjoy here in the cool room. Uh, for those of you that are very new to us, well, welcome on board. We appreciate the fact that you're listening in, probably because you've bought one of those packs. Uh, the podcast has been around for about four or five years now. started when I took over the Royal Mail Hotel in Spencer Street in West Melbourne and has morphed into being kind of a business, certainly a hobby, uh, somewhere in between the two. Uh, so, yeah, appreciate any support you can give us by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, rating and reviewing and subscribing to the podcast, and, of course, heading to the Shopify and getting the beers so that you can listen to these great discussions. 
Okay, without any further ado, let me hand over to my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, and let's get underway on today's case. Mr. Warren Wu, how are you? Hello, David Grothers. Yeah, I'm great. I'm really good, apart from the fact uh, renovations has meant that I'm stuck in a place without Wi-Fi, which is ridiculous in 2023. Um, so I've decided to come over to your place because, yeah, it's, it's, it's more conducive to, to uh, recording. Yes. 183 episodes in. We've never actually done it like this before, let alone had so many guests uh, on. Chaos is almost certain to reign today, I think. Yeah, which is is kind of par for the course for us, so that's all right. Yeah, um, we've got a heap of brewers to introduce. Let's sort of go through, roughly speaking, in uh, in order. Mister Wu, do you want to take control of the ship? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, let's. Should we keep? Uh, I, this is the thing we should have discussed before we were we 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 started recording. Should we keep the other two a secret and just go one? Oh, no, let's, no, let's get everyone. Let's, let's get, get everyone in. Let's, uh, I've been watching the Money in the Bank WWE match. That starts with everyone in the ring. That's the kind of spirit we're going for today. Excellent. All right, let's kick off with, um, let's kick off with Maz from Hawker's, uh, Hawker's Brewing. Let's, let's do that. Maz, um, hello. Uh, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> thanks for having me back. I thought, um, you know, once you had me once on, you'd never do it again, but thanks for having me again. <laughs> Um, no, it's great to have you back. Uh, so, so let's go. A lot of the, a lot of craft beer lovers will know you. Um, but, but if you'd like to introduce, introduce yourself, uh, and tell us a little bit about, about Hawkers, that would be amazing. Hi, uh, my name is Mazen and I started my career in beer back in the Middle East, where I started the first craft brewery in the Middle East. And, um, after eight years of having nine six one beer, I came to Australia and started Volkers eight years ago. We're now eight, turning nine. Um, and yeah, that's that's me and what I do. And if you'd like to hear more about Maz, uh, it was one sixty four, uh, episode one sixty four, where we um, where we visited you in uh, Reservoir, and um, yeah, it was that was uh, I think a great time was had by all the crowd. So yeah, thank you very much for posting that one but if our listeners from all over the world would like to go back to episode 164 um they can hear a little bit more about your journey which is which is amazing second uh a very good friend of the podcast and uh been on a ton of times we let's let's talk to justin hi justin how you doing I'm good. How are you? How's it yeah, all going? Very, very good. Very, very good. And you've got a partner on crime. You've got a partner in crime on for this little one. We've got Joe from. Uh, we got. You might as well say Justin's now from. Fox yeah, Friday. Oh, gee, I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah, very, right. in your previous guys, you were from Deeds, and now it's uh, it's Fox Friday. That's right. Yeah. So Joey's on today. He's down in Muna, um, and he was really the driving force in the second beer in the Carwin Black Box. It started off as a big to-do to bring the neighborhood together, and then it all just kind of came together as the perfect kind of small release for that box. So, yeah, very excited to have Joe do all the talking today. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. When did did you and Joe first meet? Why don't you guys just briefly introduce each other and give us a little bit of the backstory? We've never had Fox Friday on the show before, so 
for our friends Heinrich over there in Norway, we better explain uh, a little bit about the Fox Friday story. Okay, so Fox Friday begins before I was on the scene. So um, I believe it was in 2019 that a gentleman named Ben Hooper and his wife moved back from the States with their kids and bought a small brewery in an industrial park outside of Hobart in Muna. And then pretty much, I would say, three years from that point in time, he opened uh, a, a larger facility because it went from, it was about a 200-liter kit, Joey? 300-liter. 300-liter yeah. to, you know, a 15-heck brew house, three vessel, and then a whole string of fermenters and basically bringing up the capacity, the four or 500,000 liters a year uh, number. Um, and I started last year in October of 2022. And um, yeah, just started working with the guys down in Muna and helping out. And then we've started to, we've, we've basically gone vertical in Richmond. All of our tanks at the Richmond site are now vertical. And now we're getting all the utilities put in to get that up and running. So it's all been kind of busy, really. Um, and thirdly, uh, we've got uh, Matt from Boat Rocker, a guest that we haven't, I don't think we've never had, had Boat Matt Rocker on, which either. is amazing because Boat Rocker being one of, one of I suppose, for a lot of us, uh, the first example of, of a craft, a Melbourne craft brewery um, that we've tried and drank. Uh, a lot of us would remember Alpha Queen and. Holy oh, Miss Pinky. Miss Pinky. Um, yeah, it's so welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, tell us a little bit about Boat Rocker for our, for our guests and tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, look, we've been around uh, for a little while now, since 2009. Uh, started out as a gypsy brewer, is the, the trendy term now. Um, built our brewery in the end of 2012. Um, in Brayside, a little industrial precinct in southeast Melbourne. Um, and I think we sort of kick-started uh, one of the first barrel programs in Oz um, with a whole lot of wild ferments, spontaneous, and we built uh, the barrel room in 2015, which houses nearly 300 barrels, I guess. Um, and then we put a distillery in in... 2017 to start playing in other other areas. Um, yeah, just been working with barrels, which is our, our love, and we obviously make pale ales and IPAs and everything else, but we, we definitely love anything aged in wood. And, and look, you know, we've spoken about some of your iconic beers. I'd, I'd love to hear from each of you guys whether there's a beer from one of the other breweries that you either particularly have a memory of or particularly enjoy. I'd love to get a bit of the banter going between the brewers so that this episode isn't all about Mr. Will and I. I could go get my 2015 Ramjet Day t-shirt if you yeah. want. <laughs> I could do that right now because it's in my closet. So so I, my, mine don't fit. I don't think it'll fit. I, don't, I didn't go that far. I, I should have foresaw what was going to happen as I got into the industry and yeah, bought yeah. a larger size. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, um, I saw a photo of myself back in would have been 2012 on Crafty Pint. No grey hair, probably a good 15 kilos lighter. Would patchwork <laughs> control have let you through? Yeah, so, so same for me. It was Ramjet that was the first beer that really impressed me out of Australia. 100% when I first, when I first uh, on my first trip here, it was always Ramjet that, that really uh, impressed the hell out of me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, should, I, we should I, probably I, explain yeah, I, I, 
don't have that many Fox Friday beers because I, I haven't had that many because you're so new. I did have a, um, I know a hazy IPA, but Marzen, I think your your uh, was a double IPA, West Coast double IPA, is an absolute. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's thanks. Nice. Yeah, and I remember on one of my first trips, Matt, if you remember, we came down and, and uh, visited the brewery when it was way, oh God, I can't yeah, remember how many, I can't even remember how, how long ago that was. That yeah, was my, one of my first experiences of craft beer in Australia. Yeah, yeah, that was a long, long time ago. Well, it gave me a false sense. I have to blame you for it because when I came down, I thought, oh my God, craft beer in Australia is great. And then I went and back then drank a lot of the other breweries' beers and I was like, nah, nah. So Boat Rocker was kind of an exception in doing great beers back then, but not, not the whole industry was at that standard. So yeah, I was really worried in the early days. I was like, there's no space for a new brewery. that already mastered everything. Yeah, oh, thank you. We should, uh, we should say a big thank you to you, Matt, because it is the day after Ramjet Day here in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, uh, which is the day that the Ramjet gets released. We've referenced that beer a couple of times already, but can you give us a little bit of a feel? Just, again, explain to overseas listeners, interstate listeners, what the Ramjet is if they've never experienced it. And, um, yeah, answer the first question that's been typed in the chat. Uh, and thank you for everyone who's typing in the chat there. Um, how is the head after Ramjet Day? Pretty good. Um, for those who don't know, Ramjet is uh, an imperial stout. I think it was the first uh, imperial stout in all aged in local whiskey casks um, of wider release, I guess, um, with Starwood. Starwood, have, when we first met them, uh, they were in Essendon Airport, Essendon Fields, much smaller facility. Now they're sitting around barrel number 20,000, um, which is insane. We've got 300 uh, barrels in our barrel room and it feels cramped. I can't imagine looking after 20,000 filled with whiskey. Um, but we had a, a really good relationship with their, their old head distiller. We still have a good relationship with their current guy, Sam. Um, but we just got barrels. They gave us barrels and in return, uh, they were free and we sent them back uh, and they put beer, uh, sorry, put whiskey into the, the, the barrels. Um, but we've got a really nice whiskey character. I think that's what makes Ramjet quite delicious is the, the whiskey that it ages in. Most bourbon barrels, I love bourbon. The, the American oak flavour is incredible, but um, they're often a lot drier, uh, meaning less spirit in the barrel when they arrive. Um, whereas the ones from Starwood, we give them a phone call. The next day we get the barrels delivered. Uh, we look inside the barrel with our, our phone and if we can see a reflection um, of our face, we know that it's a, a very good barrel filled with plenty of, um, of spirits still in the, in, the, in the cask. So, And then we age, um, age the Imperial Stout uh, in the barrel for about six, six to eight months, depending on, on how we're feeling. Um, and then, yeah, then we have a day called Ramjet Day, which is a celebration of all things Ramjet, where we drink arguably outside the RSA, but um, it's a lot of fun. There's plenty of food, plenty of booze, um, good banter, good music, and then everyone has a, has a cracking night and then stumbles home. Well, we're going to be hearing much more from you, Matt, as we, as we go through the podcast today. We're going to be dealing with three really fun beers. If you're listening to the podcast version, well, I guess the two things to say uh, up front are make sure you've got the beers out of the fridge well ahead of time. I think for all three, 
certainly beers that can be drunk at room temperature, particularly if your room is an Australian room in an Australian winter. Uh, and the other bit, again, if you're listening to the podcast version, feel free to pause between the, uh, between the sessions that we have here or between the discussions of the beers. We're going to sort of, you know, go on at a reasonable clip here, probably half an hour to 40 minutes per beer. Uh, and that means that we're going to be drinking quite a number of beers. Luckily, Mr Wu and I are in the same room, so we can share a can. Uh, but don't feel you need to rush. Take the opportunity to savour the, uh, the beers that you've got and uh, use the pause facility, drink with a friend and um, make the most of three fantastic beers. We're kicking off officially our Carwin Black Box Countdown with beer number one. Mr Warren Wu, do you want to take control of the ship? Um, yes. Yes, I do. All right, so uh, for everyone who's lucky enough to have gotten one of the Carwin Cellars uh, black boxes um, and cracked number one, they will be very impressed to see uh, a Hawker's beer smiling back at them. Um, so we've got... And, and yeah, we're, like, quite... Surprising the quality of the first beer and gives you a good indication of all the beers which are in the pack. Are you surprised um, because you didn't think Carwin would put together a good pack? Are you surprised because <laughs> you didn't think that Maz would grow a, be brewing a good beer? What surprises you? Uh, I, I surprise, I'm surprised that 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 it's a really great beer straight off the bat. You know how sometimes with uh, with um, countdown packs and kind of blind tasting packs you'll you'll ease into it a little bit there'll be a couple in the you'll start with a few which you might not have heard of you they might still be impressive products but yeah to to start with the hawkers and i should actually say what it is so the hawkers peanut butter and jelly edition imperial stout 2023 so great full flavored really lovely massive wintry beer um tell us tell us a little bit about this one Maz. Well, this this one is actually our first foray into peanut butter. It actually there is no top note in this one. It's it's just frozen peanut butter, and so you do get that oily china because you're asking in a, in, a, in, a, in the chat. You do get that oily texture from peanuts because we used real peanuts in this, and we used real <laughs> real jelly in this as well. Uh, so uh, I think the guys just uh, kind of. Thought this this would be a fun take on our um, bourbon barrel aged start this year. Um, the barrels this year are quite special. They've come from Willet, um, which is uh, if if anyone uh, looks at barrel aging at bourbon barrel aging, that's kind of like the holy grail that no one can get their hand on. Uh, on and uh, I've been, I've been basically kissing up to the di distributor of Willet Battles for the last five years, and finally we, we got a shipment. And actually, we, we shared the shipment with the guys down at, the, at Fox Friday. They they got some barrels of us as well. Um, so it, it, the base beer is quite special. With this one, we wanted to use not real sorry not real peanut. We used frozen peanut butter uh, because there was a question by Tim on on on, on there. Um, and it's it's just uh, the brewers having a bit of fun. It's uh, it's an amazing bit. Tell us, I'm fascinated by that jelly. Did you actually put jelly just jelly crystals in, or did you make the jelly and put the jelly in? No, no, we got jelly. We got banana. We didn't make the jelly ourselves. That would have been like that. That would be next level crazy shit. We make beer. We're not. We're not really jelly makers. 
Although if you give it to some of the brewers, they would have loved to. I mean, Alex uh, on the brew team, uh, on the brew team is, is quite notorious for wanting to do everything. The last time we did a maple and fig uh, imperial stout, um, he he steeped the fig and made it into a puree on at home. So he's uh, and smoked it on on uh, on his home oven. So he's 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 quite passionate like that. Wow. Um, tell us about some of the the challenges that the guys came up across while making this beer. It sounds like frozen peanut butter isn't necessarily the most brew-friendly ingredient. No, it's not. It's it's really hard to brew with, and 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 it's it's very hard to incorporate into the beer because you kind of you, you want to take it because it was the first time we actually used this. We didn't know what kind of um, uh, hopping rate uh, we were going to add into it, and so you would add a bit. And it takes a while to incorporate, and then you come back and taste it the next day, and you're like, "All right, another little bit." And it's so, so this beer is uh, it, it frustrated everyone because everyone's like, "Oh, we need to can it. We've got this deadline. We've got to get this can out." Oh, no, no, add a bit more of this, add a bit more of that, until we were finally happy with it. Um, I think we've learned a lot from making this beer on how to handle peanut, and I, I find it uh, very interesting uh, learning curve for for the team as well. You mentioned the um, the base beer that you you started with. Um, tell us a little bit about that base beer. It does sound like it's it's something special for you guys. I shouldn't be releasing any of these notes because they're, they're going to be coming later. So this year we have a massive barrel program because uh, we we don't normally flood the market with all sorts of weird and wonderful barrel <laughs> inventions. But this year we're going to be doing a lot more, uh, and so we've done two base imperial stouts this year. We've done our traditional imperial stout, uh, which is which goes into the barrel at 10.5%, uh, spends a bit of time. This one came out at 13.1, uh, so it's picked up all that additional ABV from the barrel. And the second one we're calling our double imperial stout, that went into the barrel at 12%, and that's going to be also coming out um, uh, with, with a whole range of beers as well. On top of that, obviously, we do our barley wines and a couple of new surprises, uh, which will be exciting, hopefully, for, for uh, the listeners. Now, am I right in saying that this year you've also, in the next month or so, got a big event coming up with Carwin? Because I uh, obviously you know, very grateful for the, what the team from Carwin have done in helping us to put together this pack. In fact, they did the, the work in putting together this pack. You've got an event coming up with Carwin in the next month? I can't so. disclose what the event is exactly, but I can tell you it's going to be a pretty special event. Um, that will be right across the country as well. But in Victoria, it will be Carwin-centric, absolutely. And it'll be something, hopefully, next level uh, in terms of uh, our barrel aging program, our little barrel aging program. I know that Ben Devale's sitting there very quietly at the moment. He's not muted. You know, is, is he going to jump in and give us the uh, the ten of the two twenty six scoop? Well, I'm still thrown from Warren's comment about expecting a shocker on day one. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just realised that Hawkers have now had the first and the last beer in Canvent and the. Oh no, we've lost Ben. Uh, we lost everyone. Have we lost everyone? Have you pulled the? Yeah, I'm done. Excellent. I oh, know we're back. We're back. Um, yeah, no, we can't give away too much about this event in August. Uh, other than it's going to be have a collaborative aspect, and 
there'll be a lot of taps of barrel-aged beer. Um, what, Ben, what, very quickly while we, we have you, and, and we're really lucky to have you on, um, what goes into, what are some of the most fun parts that go into producing, uh, producing packs like this? It sounds like there's, there's a lot of different aspects which would be re- really tough, but what are some of the enjoyable parts of, of, uh, of well, doing the these projects? It's fun, really. You're just getting to work with the best brewers in the country and letting them um, be as creative as they're willing to be, really, especially for something like the black box. There's no real boundaries. It's just go hard and put something fun and big and dark and dumb and barrel-aged together. So what's not to like? Uh, are there, uh, with this particular with this particular pack, and I'm... I'm assuming you've seen them all, and you kind of you've you've had a good look at, at all of the cans going in. Um, are there any which have really surprised you? And you don't have to give away any details about, but but are there, is is there one that you look at and just kind of your mind explodes a little bit? There's at least two really what I think will be polarizing beers coming up um, for sure. Discussion points we'll call them, but uh, really looking forward to the reactions. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, just to clarify, mm-hmm. the first beer is never a shocker. It's just... <laughs> you got to start strong. I mean... Yeah, you, you definitely did with this one. It's it's excellent. It's, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. Glad, glad you're enjoying it. Good, good recovery there. Good recovery. <laughs> I, I know where you live. <laughs> Guys, uh, I'm particularly interested from from Matt and from Joe and from Justin. When you're tasting this beer, are there particular flavours that come through for you guys? If you were sort of, you know, sitting somewhere having a beer with friends, what would you be saying about this beer as you sipped on it? If my staff hadn't drunk it, I'd be drinking it right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I keep, I'd forgotten that bit. I think, I think I might be the only one drinking it right now. Am I? Yeah. Imagine you got one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's really lovely. There's nice bourbon notes on the nose, combining with a bit of the bit of the fruit and a bit of the peanut butter, and it's got that that full body. Uh, that's definitely a hawker style stout, in my opinion. And then it finishes nice with almost uh, a tartness covering up the 13%. So, yeah, I think it's very solid. It's a very nice stout. You've uh, you've said a hawker style beer there, and that really leads us back to our next question for for Mazin. Um, you're obviously known for a wide range of styles, but when it comes to your stouts, what is it that makes a, hawks, a hawker's stout a hawker's stout? What makes this, do you think, a, a hawker's style beer? It, it, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, for me, the philosophy behind the beers that we make is drinkability. And it's, it's um, we don't, we've never been the ones to chase trends at hawkers, right? We're not the cool kids on the block. I don't need to do everything that comes under the sun. We brew beers that we actually love and want to drink ourselves. And if, if, if it's not a beer that we want to drink ourselves, we don't do it. So the, the imperial stuff that we put out are brewed for drinkability and for cellaring seller, as well. So, so we, we brew um, with tight controls on fermentation. We watch the mash and temperatures really closely. Uh, we want to finish these beers so that people can have them in their cellar. We're still selling 
uh, on our online store, 2016 bar bourbon barrel aged and stouts. And they're still tasting fantastic. Um, and, and that's kind of the, 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 the target that we set ourselves. So we, we don't brew what necessarily is the hype fashion of the, of the day in that sense. That's, that's I think, what, what defines what we do. There, we've sort of touched on the challenges of making a beer like this a little bit already. Um, when you were talking about the frozen peanut butter and the multiple editions of it, I really wondered who was currently the apprentice uh, out at the brewery, because I imagine that cleaning the fermenter at the end of this would have been something experience. <laughs> or was it just one of those... Is it a bit like when I used to have a deep fryer at the, at, the, at the poutine shop, that when it got to the end of the deep fryer's life, we made one completely outrageous thing in the knowledge that it was just going to be loaded onto a truck and taken away at the end? <laughs> um, no, I, this did involve a lot of cleaning. And so well, one of the things that we actually, I mean, to go back to this specific craziness of this beer, one of the things that we've recently uh, started incorporating onto our labels is a ready-to-seller logo. And so the beers that we think will sell her well will have a logo on them. This one doesn't because it has all these uh, all these additions to it. The peanut butter and the jelly. So I'm not I'm not 100% comfortable with how it will age over the long period. Uh, so we don't recommend it to sell her. With with everything at talk is it's all we're very clear and transparent in the things that we kind of do to our beers and try and do with our beers. Um, this should actually go on our website now that I'm thinking about it. We didn't put it on the website. I'm very sorry. Um, normally, with the, we, we ask a, a traditional cool room question, which talks about something going very wrong in the brewery or in, in a cool room or hospitality venue. But have you had a, a dark beer or a barrel-aged beer go horribly wrong? Oh, and... yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> It, it, it always happens when you're, you're trying to um, dose things, right? And uh, we once uh, made a beer with orange, which we accidentally double-dosed the orange into it. It turned out to be a very polarizing beer, as, as Ben would call them a discussion point. <laughs> people thought this was the best fucking beer that they've ever had, and they stood right to us, when are you going to make it again? Or people said, this is fucking bullshit, we're never going to drink this stuff ever again. And it, it's really great, right? So we, we've had a few of those polarizing beers. But with this specific beer, the big challenge that we've had was the peanut. It, it was our first time incorporating peanut, and as, as you know, it, peanut has a lot of oil, which damages the head and damages... Um, the, 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 the various things that you're told to stay away from when you're growing. Right. Uh, and there's a question, I think, do you still sell her the beers that you wouldn't see? Yes, yeah, we, great we question, do. Shannon. Yeah, so we do sell her almost everything, and we, we have retention stock of everything, and we still have, even the beers that have sold out, we'll still keep a case of them somewhere to see how they are developing so we can learn um, from them, what is what are the right things to do and what are the wrong things to do with our battle program? Um, of the other breweries that we've got on, have you guys had uh, ever used? Have you guys ever used peanuts uh, in a beer? And um, yeah, what was your experience of using peanuts? Never, never used peanuts. Only um, only a top note for a you know one-off keg, but never actual peanuts or peanut butter. Um, any other nut experiences? No. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Hawkers once again going where 
no other brewery dare to to dread. No, I, I think Justin Adid's the the first beer that really impressed, uh, which was peanut uh, the peanut imperial porter, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah, I, we, I, I, may, I might be speaking out of school here. Uh no, that's no, no. Thanks, Mason. Yeah, we uh we made a peanut butter imperial stout at Deeds, and this past year, um, we did a bourbon barrel aged variant of that. And um, did quite well, actually, I think. But, um, yeah, we, we played around with peanut butter a lot when we were um, back in Glen Iris. And it's, uh, it is a very challenging raw material to use because if you get all the oil out of it, it's not really peanut butter anymore. And it's very hard. And there's products where they press out all the oil, like PB2, but it doesn't, it's not really soluble and it doesn't mix. So, yeah, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty long road to get a good peanut butter flavor in a beer so yeah exactly and and the problem with using sometimes the peanut top notes and things like that is you end up with a beer that smells like hand lotion yeah and and <laughs> detergent and it's it's it, it can it can very easily go wrong very quickly and so yeah it's, it, yeah so with this beer we only used um frozen peanut butter which is again a stupid thing to do because it does to the detriment of the head and it can uh, in the end uh have residual as well as uh but yeah it, it was a fun beer for a fun calendar and that's what we did and ben ben ben's uh cue to us was go nuts do whatever the hell you want and so we did <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> um Mazenoff, the other cool room question we often ask is about your memories of a of your first craft beer but do you have memories of a of uh, a great, a great dark beer that you've had. Um, you mentioned the Ramjet, but are there, are there other, are there other benchmarks that that yes. um, stick in your mind? The, the 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 beer that got me into craft beer, unlike most of the guys, wasn't a pale ale or an IPA or anything like that. It was Samuel Smith's Imperial Porter, Imperial Stout. Sorry, that was the beer that got me into craft beer. It blew my brain away, and the more I researched it, I found out that they were doing it in open fermenters, and the whole mystique grew, and I thought, I need to learn more about what the hell is actually beer versus that light, fizzy, whatever crap that we had back in Beirut. Yeah. Where were you when you were drinking that? You've, uh, you've had a history of drinking in all sorts of exciting and exotic places, at least <laughs> Melbourne standards. Do you remember where you were when you first tasted it? Yes, I was in Wales in a pub. Outside of between Lantwit Major and and uh, Bridge End, it was called uh, Marcross, and I was 15 years old. It blew my brain that I was drinking this Imperial Stout. I didn't really understand or appreciate anything. I thought Guinness was very exotic, and when I had this thing, it just brain blown. Um, and it, it was very illegal uh, for underage drinking but this this was a pub in the middle of buttfuck nowhere in wales and so they they just accepted students from my school because uh, that was their bread and butter i've got to say pub there's a number of amazing bits of that story but one of them to me really genuinely is that a 15 year old encountering a encountering a beer with so much flavor and complexity was fascinated by it rather than going oh no i think i'll go back to something fruitier or or more like those sort of macro lagers that you mentioned there. A pretty amazing thing about your palate to go, hmm, I'm fascinated by this, I must learn more about it. You, you weren't yeah. the regular 15-year-old. 
Well, I mean, my, my, my dad, when, when I grew up, um, his big obsession was producing food. He thought that was the noblest thing a human being could ever do. Right? And, and once you get into that mindset that um, your dad teaches you to be open to all sorts of flavors. And my mom made me eat my first sushi. And, and back, back in the early, late 80s in Lebanon, there was no sushi, right? And raw fish. It was completely alien. Um, so I've always grown up in a household that, that was all about taste this. But don't say no, just taste it, eat it, and then decide if you like it or not. And yes, the oiliness is, is from the peanuts, exactly. Uh, just uh, you're absolutely spot on there with the question. Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a learning experience for us to stick real peanuts into the beer, real peanut butter. Does it, does it encourage you to do it again? Like, what do, you, do, do things jump to mind as oh, to where you would take this? Oh, we did, and we learned a lot from it. And we did Oti McOatface. If, if you guys uh, had the chance to try that beer, it was a unbarrel-aged imperial start with oats and, and uh, peanut, and I think we did a better job in handling the peanuts there. Um, but this one, the dosing of the peanuts was very high because it was such a strong beer as well. Um, do you, you Sh Shana and Muggs have asked oh. a question in the, in the cool room uh, chat there which is so complex I might actually get them to unmute and ask it quickly themselves, just so that I'd rather than me reading it out and missing a word and getting it wrong. So could, do one of you guys want to unmute and ask your question? And thank you for being here and supporting the podcast, of course. Uh, it was my question, but I had to confirm a few things with mugs to, to ask it. Um, so using like an icing technique, like where you make ice wine and you remove a portion of the water content um, which obviously increases uh, alcohol. Um, and Muggs just said you wouldn't then unfreeze that again because it would oxidise and change the flavour. But I was thinking as you cooled it, that would obviously, the layer of oil at the top would turn to solid and it would be very easy to remove. But would that change the flavour if you did No, the head, once, once the oil is in the beer, the head, the head suffers immediately. Any, any impurities, once they hit the beer, that's it. it there's no coming back from it. And to be perfectly honest, when you're brewing, so the difference between Oti Oatface and, and this beer is this was brewed on such a small scale, it's very difficult to do. This, this was brewed just for the pack. You can't get it anywhere else. So the volume was very small, right? And so it's very difficult to do on a larger scale. It's easier to do more techniques that, that have better control of the process. Whenever I talk to people about craft brewing, the bigger you get, the more control you have over the process. Every time you brew a small batch, there's infinitely more things that you don't have control over. So that, that, that's just the reality of it. And it's a question of, I don't think the foam has anything to do with mouthfeel, to be honest. Uh, it has to do with appearance, for sure. Um, but if you're trying to accomplish that kind of a flavor, it's, it, you know, then the question is, do you do it or do you not do it? Do you, is, is having foam that, that critical in a beer that's 13.1% and it's sap and wood and there's all sorts of other impurities anyway. But I do like that sort of general inference there, which is a, a very cool room one, that 13.1% may not be high enough alcohol and there would be other ways of pushing it up a little bit higher. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Shana. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and always trust China to push it. <laughs> And, and I've got to say, I agree completely with what Justin was saying before about uh, one of his very first comments about this beer is that it does hide that 
13.1% very effectively. And that's a, a positive thing, I think, particularly for beer number one. But I can feel myself getting quite rosy-faced already, Mr Wu. Yeah, I, it's, it, yeah, it does hide it particularly well. It's a, a, it's a real credit to, to how the beer's been made that it, it just is so balanced, yeah. It's, and, and as you said, one of the trademarks of Hawker's beers is that, that balance and drinkability. Um, exactly. Was there any particular toys or equipment that came in handy in making this? Was there a, was there something oh, in the brewery which which you use specifically to just the apprentice to clean at the end? <laughs> um, not, not nothing that we can share uh, in a non PG uh, environment. But yeah, the, most of the brewers thought this was. <laughs> They, they absolutely hated me for this idea. But then they all got on board and it all became kind of every morning we think, is it there, is it not there? Um, no, look, it, it, this beer is, is, in reality, it's, it's a barrel-aged and stocked with added uh, ingredients at the end. So there wasn't much. Uh, it's hard when you're making a small batch to properly blend and, and filter out things and things like that. It's It's more, it's you have less control in what you do than putting it in a big tank because in the big tank, you can then centrifuge the whole thing. If I put this into a centrifuge, the whole beer would be gone before it even got to the centrifuge. It <laughs> barely can fill the pipes. So it, it, there's, a, there's an element when you're doing small, small, small batches that you really don't have that much control over. Uh, it's quite frustrating, but it's also, you're, you're not really thinking of the process. You're thinking more of the flavors that you're trying to get out of the beer. And I hope the flavors of peanut butter and jelly come out. And I don't want them to be so dominant that you miss the base beer as well. It's all about that balance and drinkability. I think that's sort of answered Justin's question along the way there. Too. So thank you for putting that one in the room, Justin, which is really about, you know, what's the most important thing within the beer, I guess, is whether it's the appearance or whether it's the the flavours that come through and, you know, do you have to sacrifice a little bit of one to, to end up with the, the more important part of the other? The barrels that we got are from Willet in the US. And um, if, you, if you just go on to Untapped and ask uh, and just type Willet Barrel Age and you'll see, um, they are the most sought after. I mean, in fact, Laguanitas have written a blog post about Willet Barrel Age beers Avery um, Half Acre side project. Um, I'm not name dropping, but they're like the most sought after bourbon barrels. So they've they usually sell to one distributor, and that distributor is packed. Every brewery is trying to get these barrels. And for five years, I had to kiss his ass, and nothing happened until I finally got one of his big clients to go give this guy a break, and he basically shipped up a container, and that was great. You don't strike me as one of the world's great ass kisses, mate. It's a it's now, a phrase the that battles, never those, those battles those battles were definitely worth kissing ass and it was a lot of ass kissing for five years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got a couple of questions left. Then we might have a quick two or three minute break just so that people can refresh their glasses and get ready for the next beer. But before and I have to excuse I have to excuse myself after this. I, I, I'm in Canberra um, um, and I have actually a couple of events that I have to go to after this. No worries. Um, you don't have to excuse yourself for being in Canberra. It happens to the best of us from time to time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's not me... what I meant for good point. Yeah. 
Let me, what I really want to do is ask, not just because I went to see the mighty Fitzroy Football Club play yesterday, and they originally used to be the Gorillas before they were the Lions, but tell me about the, uh, the can design here. How do you go about doing a can design for such a limited run as this? And um, what's the story behind our gorilla friend there on the label? Oh, my God. Uh, so this is, this is all the work of our creative genius. So I, the guys who have been playing at home and following the hawkers through the years, we used to have a guy and the, the, the sun burst around him. And then we moved to the, uh, the star design. And then um, our designers back then thought it would be cool to have a retro pinstripe can and the fucking market lost their shit. And everyone, it was like I, I took their grandma out to the backyard and shot her. <laughs> they, they, they treated us like some pariahs in the market. And then... See, this is more we, what I expect from you. This is not. This is not the <laughs> ass kissing that I was. You know. So then, so then uh, we we had a common friend with the guys at Carbon who, who used to work at Carbon. He was a designer. He had done a lot of our labels before our limited release stuff, and um, he he came on board full time and he became our brand director, um, Chris Flem, who is a fucking genius and 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 like all geniuses are, he lives in his own little world. He's now moved to the U.S., but he's still our brand director. He still works for us all the time. So all the all the labels are coming from him. And uh, this the the vintage series this year is all about monsters. So actually, we have a blog post that explains each monster and the legend behind it. So the Kraken was on uh, one of them, Godzilla, bloody Frankenstein. I don't know what the fuck goes on in his head. I'm not the design guy. And obviously, when I thought pinstripes were a good thing. Everyone else told me to go fuck myself, so I'm, I'm not really ever involved in, in design anymore. What, what would Mazin put on a Kurum t-shirt? Fuck you, Sting? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, Mazin, going, I suppose, a little bit related to that. Um, did you have, is there a place that you envisage drinking this? I know you like getting the full experience of a beer, and, and and experimenting all different aspects, you know, the music you'd play with it, the all the different things. But, but yeah, is there, would, is there somewhere in the world that yeah. you should drink this beer? Any anywhere at home on yeah. an evening after dinner, just having a nice nightcap. Rather than have a dessert, have this as a nightcap. I think fantastic. Perfect. Excellent. Also, look, we know you've got to go off into sunny Canberra and spend time with all the good people who spend their live their lives in Canberra. Can you remind us first and foremost of how we can keep up to date with your blogs and with all of your other socials, uh, and so, really encourage everyone to follow you and hear the uh, hear the Hawker story. So yeah, most of the stuff that we do is directly on our website. So if you just jump onto www.hawkers.beer and jump onto the email list, you'll get all the new releases, uh, pre-release stuff, you get points and rewards and all sorts of really complicated stuff that my brain doesn't quite function around. Um, again, it's it's the guys on the team that, that mostly do of this stuff. And if you order anything from us, and I'm not taking away from Carbon, you probably will get the wrong order because currently I'm packing everything. And so it probably should go to Carbon and buy everything from Carbon, not from us, because I'm fucking shit up. I'm not on a plane, but I will be heading on to a plane pretty soon. I'm, I'm back on a plane this evening. 
We appreciate that fact that uh, you're up there and that you've made an extra special effort to join us today, mate. Uh, and, of course, that you brewed such an amazing beer to kick off our black box experience. Thank you so much. I, I wish I had brewed the beer. I can't take credit for it. It's the brew team that has brewed the beer. I was just involved in the ideas, and they don't even let me near the tools because they know I'll break things. <laughs> but thank you, for, thank you for having me, and thanks, everyone. We've had our little break here in the cool room to recover from the fact that we kicked off with a 13% beer. Uh, Mr Wu, are you ready to talk, are you take it down a notch yeah. with a Fox Friday 11% beer? Yeah, 11.4%, which is, yeah, it's, it doesn't happen very often on <laughs> that you go from a 13 and a bit percent to 11 and a bit percent, but both of them excellent quality beers. I've been guys sipping it in the little short break that we had. Um, so Marzen's in, in Cold Old Canberra, and I was in Cold Old Ballarat last night. And a shout-out to the, the Midtown Cellars guys who are doing a, a Fox Friday tap takeover. Um, yeah, which it was terrific. I, I only had a quick drink there, but, um, yeah, big shout-out to those guys. Uh, so so let's, let's go with the Neighbours Imperial Pastry Stout, um, which is a Fox Friday, uh, which is a Fox Friday... Um, entrant, I suppose. Entrant? Yeah. Let's go with that. Contribution. Contribution, yeah. Um, Joe and Justin, how are you guys going? What's now? Give us the, the lowdown on the neighbours. What, what is it? What, what, what's in it? What makes it a pastry stout? Hey, you um, want yeah. Go on, Joe. I might kick it off. What a good guy. Yeah, hey, yeah, having us on the show. This is fun. <laughs> this is sweet. Um, we thought we were having trouble getting our act together. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. Um, all right. Neighbours from uh, Fox Friday in collaboration with Pigeonhole Bakers and Villino Coffee Roasters. Um, I thought it might be a really good chance to try and get three really close, you know, companies and businesses together and, like, put something forward really special for the Carmen Box. Um, the name Neighbours, it's literally... 60 metres this way around the corner is the coffee roastery and the bakery. So when Justin was down here brewing with me, we uh, kicked off the boiler and we're like, yeah, we'll go for a coffee. So boiler started, getting the hot water hot. We went over, had a coffee. So that's literally how close they are. Um, they have a walnut and coffee pastry over there that's only sold at the cafe roastery so i was like this could be like an incredible kind of uh project to undertake using those kind of ingredients and try and put it into a beer yeah. absolutely i mean i guess the, the obvious question just coming out of the the chat we just had with maz there is what's walnut walnut like to use as an ingredient what format did you have it in and what was it like yeah, great question. First time for myself using nuts in this manner. Uh, it was literally just diced walnuts. Um, and what we did, we got the guys over at um, Pigeonhole Bakers. They've got like a commercial bakery over there. They've got big ovens. So we got 50 kilos of chopped and diced walnuts and they laid them out on trays and lightly toasted them. Um, that, going back to Marzen's uh, bit, it's a good way of getting rid of the oil. And then you can um, use tissue paper or just whatever to dry it all out. And then when you put it into the beer, you do get a bit more head retention. Um, and it also, like, brings out all the aromats and the walnuts into the beer. So 
Awesome. Let's go through the tasting experience. You know, with this in our glass, what should it be looking like when we hold it up to the light? What should Absolutely. we be on the nose? What should we be getting uh, as a flavour? So when it when it's cold and straight out of the can, I'd always recommend letting this one warm up. But um, you know, you've got like nice, like oily, slick bit of head retention there as well. But I'm getting a lot of um, the coffee from this one. Mm. We use the Costa Rican black honey processed uh, coffee done to like an espresso style. So slightly darker than filter. With filter, you might get kind of like beautiful in its own right, like light citrus acidity that I didn't think would really work in this beer. So we did um, a tabletop um, tasting with, we had four four beers, all with different coffee beans. And then collectively on the table, just behind me, the coffee roasters came over. We tried them. We were like, oh, that's really cool, but perhaps not for this beer. Oh, that's the one over there. So um, on the nose, I get a lot of that kind of coffee, perhaps milk chocolate. Um, Justin, jump in at any time. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 nice coffee on the nose, but it's not over dominant, and it doesn't just smell like coffee and a beer. You know, a lot of times people add coffee to beer, and it's just coffee and beer, and you can separate out the two tastes in uh, in your mouth when you're drinking it. But I find that with what Joey kind of pushed in and had these guys really involved in selecting the bean, and then literally roasting it and running it across the street hot to get into the bright tank to get that flavor immediately extracted. Like it was a, you know, it was a big uh, to do. And I I find that the coffee flavor has really integrated really well. And I think the walnut flavor adds a, it's weird. Walnut, you know, you think of a walnut, you eat a walnut, whatever, but what you really need to think about is what happens when you find walnut in a pastry. If it's been cooked a little bit, it becomes a bit sweeter. It's almost creamy. And I feel like that that's what we captured from the walnut in the beer. Did I say that good, Joey? That sounds beautiful to me. Yeah. <laughs> good, you, work. good work. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. I, um, I really want to throw to Matt and ask him his opinion on this, but of course he doesn't have it because his staff drank the bloody stuff. Um, you know, there's got to be some new rule in the ABA that stops that happening in the future. Matt, is he there? I think he's there. Missed that question. I had a text come through from the wife saying that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> we were just saying that, Matt, the second we start rolling beers off the Richmond line, we're going to start sending you cases, and we'll get a nice exchange going. Sounds good. And then Sounds we good. can try all our beers. That would be, That'll be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Set up, happy to set up uh, some, some muling going backwards and forwards. North, just north. some mild muling, just so you get dinner table conversation. You'll be like, oh, I'm muling beer. It's no big deal. My, yeah, mild but... muling might be the title of our next T-shirt, I think. <laughs> there you go. Both of us as I'm wandering down Smith Street to go and pick up some great beers from our friends <laughs> in that part of the world. Um, guys, what's what makes this a Fox Friday beer? What aspects of this do you think uh, I say it's a Fox Friday beer? Well, the easy answer is we brewed it. But that is not what you're looking for, I don't think. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, no, I think what makes it a Fox Friday beer is that um, what was really nice is, like, the whole team came together. There's some excellent talent, including Joe down in Muna. And we all came together and we were like, all right, Joe wants to do this beer. We're going to do it. I'm talking to the Benz, and I think we're going to put it in this box. Let's see what happens. And everybody sat down and was like, well, how do you want to do this part of it? What's the base beer need to be? And everybody really came together to try and 
give their notes and experience of where they worked in the past and how it was going to all come together. Does that sound about right, Joe? Yeah, and um, I think we did a lot of um, research as well. Like when I'm taking the dog out for a walk, I've always got beer and brewing podcasts on. You mean you got Ben Duval bringing down like Horace uh, Agedales down, so that kind of gets your brain ticking along too. I'm chatting to brewers, like obviously Justin over at Deeds, like they've got a wealth of experience with Ned over there. So it was just like having this concept of what the beer should be and then just finding the right people to talk to and like trying to pull the best to make the best beer you can. I really had this vision of you going out for your walk with your dog there, doing your research, basically having a shopping trolley full of 13% beers, <laughs> just wandering <laughs> off around Tasmania for a walk like that. No, yeah. No. Until his partner runs out to find him and bring him home. Like, <laughs> and then, I'm just going to walk down to the bottle and then doesn't come back. <laughs> um, yeah, she's actually the, uh, my wife is actually the general manager over at Bellino. So it's all very, you know. So the, the onion peels another layer and you can yeah. see where all this is going, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but just like the onion, there is no truth. There's always another layer. Is that that's really right. That's right. Um, I, I took us down a tangent there, Mr. Wu. You better get us back on track before I get into postmodern philosophy at a much deeper level. Um, tell, <laughs> oh, um, tell us about the brewing process. Like, it, it, with, with the walnuts and the coffee, and uh, we could have asked, uh, asked Marzen this as well, um, integrating both of those together in the brewing process, how did that, how'd that all come about? Um, well, I... No, I was just going to say that for me, like the coffee and the walnut was like the finish line. But first we had to get this beer through our brew house. Uh And it is in our uh, uh, approach to these stouts, especially pastry stouts or big, even barrel aged stouts, you know, we're uh, we're chasing gravity. We're chasing Play-Doh. And, you know, if that means we're, uh, stopping the collection 500 liters short so it's nice and rich. If that means we're boiling it for 16 hours, whatever we can do to get the gravity up there so that we know that it can ferment out 14 or 11% and still have the body that we want in it, that's the first step. Because we have a, a beautiful bespoke brewing, you know, brew house three vessel kit. But, you know, I think that the, the rated capacity on the grain, I mean, I dare say we doubled it when we put this beer through. So, you know, like, let's just say that everybody was standing around the water ton smoking cigarettes with puckered assholes. Like, is this gonna, <laughs> is this gonna collect? I don't know what's gonna happen here. Like, we're pretty worried about it. Um, but we got the beer into the kettle and that for me was like the first step. Joey, would you agree? Like that yeah, was the biggest absolutely. thing. Like it's um, always tricky brewing these kind of beers because the grain bill is so like big, it's thick. It literally doesn't want to be lauded, but you're going to have to lauder it anyway. So getting it into the kettle, like that's the first step of many steps. Like fermentation's another thing, such a high ABV beer. So you don't want really hot flavors. So you have to be really careful there too. Um, yeah. Um, I Also like, I think this beer was com- like, we had to start from a blank slate because it was a pastry stout. We had to like, Justin and I had to like eat the pastry, kind of pick apart what flavors we got and then translate that into the beer itself. And it was, it was very like, hard work eating pastries all day. You, know, it's tricky, about beer. you can imagine, you can imagine. But, um, 
but it, it was also like an excuse for me just to buy in malts I haven't used before, like midnight wheat and aromatic malts and brown malt. And um, I took a lot of inspiration from uh, Podjola in Estonia. They do a lot of like really delicious dark beers in my opinion. So I just tried to see what their processes could have been and just put that into our own brew house. Um, so, so I've got to cut in there. Sometimes I pretend that I don't know about things just to play the everyman on the podcast. But let's legitimately imagine I don't know anything about Podula. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Well, I reckon uh, Ben Duval. Do you want to take it away, my, my friend? What did, what <laughs> did you do? <laughs> uh, nice handball, by the way. Yeah, exactly. They're one of two um, Estonian breweries that come in through Redwood, actually, importers. And it, it seems they must have a, a real sort of specialty for, for huge uh, and barrel-aged pastry stouts over there because they've just been been phenomenal. Um, did you take inspiration from them for the, the finish on this beer? Because that was something that really stood out for me was how how soft the finish was mm. without any acridity from the malt or the, or the coffee. Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I, like all the... Uh, malt that we can see on the side of the can is such a good prompt um so it starts off like really pale and then it works it through works through like to munich and aromatic so we're getting like real like very light bready biscuity through the caramels into like sweet candy bar all of those kind of things like not dark cacao and like those kind of bitter darker roasted malts so we try to keep it quite almost like not sugary sweet, but like not acrid, as you said. And then we used a lot of midnight wheat to just really darken it up. But they do a lot of uh, fantastic Baltic porters and imperial stouts that I've um, purchased. And I just thought they're doing something right. Let me have a little look at what they get up to. Um, back to the back to another back to the uh, cool room question we often ask, or or on a, that similar ilk. Uh, are there, sorry, excuse me. That's fine. Are there, I'll just help you while you choke and cough on me. Maybe let's start with Justin. Um, dark beers, which come to mind, some first dark beers, some, some, some yeah, ones that really, uh, really stood out to you in your, in your beer journey. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, there was an opportunity to try some different bourbon barrel-aged imperial stouts when I lived in Singapore, but when I came down to Australia... Uh, the first time to come, I mean, the two beers that you ended up chasing, one Mazin alluded to is Ramjet, and then uh, where my uh, my mother-in-law lived up near here, there was this old brewery called Kawinda that made a yeah. black IPA, mm. and it was a great black IPA for that time, and I bring it up to people every now and then to make sure that it stays in the history, because I fear one day that nobody will ever remember Kawinda or their black IPA, but it had an effect on me, because I was like, damn, that's a pretty tasty beer from a little place that doesn't have much of a website, was never open, you could never actually buy it from. Mm. You just kind of had to roll in there and hope to meet somebody that would sell it to you, um, which was strange. But I think that, that those two beers there, are like in terms of coming to Australia, was a big impact on what beer can be. And, you know, I ended up working up at Holgate when I first started, so trying his Vanilla Porter and his Empress his Imperial Vanilla Porter, and then um, Beelzebub and all the things he was doing. It was just an amazing way to start and get into the industry. And then obviously, you know, before that, 
Mesmer's not here now, but then I worked after that, I worked at Hawker's and, you know, we brewed barrel aged beer there and worked on his Imperial stouts and did a lot of crazy things and had a lot of fun and then continued doing barrels of beads. So yeah, I think that, you know, in terms of like dark beer in Australia, those two were big ones. White Rabbit Dark Ale was another great yeah. one that I remember back in the day. That was awesome to, if you could get your hands on it. Yeah. The what about you, Joey? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I want to hear about Coinda. Go. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the Coinda Black IPA, uh, I, I have very, very fond memories of, which I'm sure I've shared here in the cool room before. But for whatever reason, they seem to have some deal with bowls clubs in Victoria. And I mean this really genuinely. So in bowls clubs where you'd have no good beers available, they would have that black uh, available. And I can just remember many a night pennant game uh, being punctuated with that as my beer for the evening. Um, it was a I don't understand whatever happened to that brewery because some of the beers they produced were absolutely top-notch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I hung around with the guys and I, like, hang, hung out there a bit when I was sort of trying to get into the industry. And, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a long road for them. I think they're still around now, and I think they do uh, contract canning. They kind of shifted into doing, like, mobile canning and then kind of during COVID, and now I think they do contract packing and all kinds of stuff, so... They're still at it, I guess. Good. And um, Lee over there in WA reminds me of the uh, the delicious feral Karma Citra at the time that also moved into a barrel-aged version called Barico Karma, which is one of my favourite beer puns of all time. So, <laughs> uh, Joe, we interrupted your memories of dark beers. What were the first ones you encountered? Ah, great question. Um, it would be the 2012 Sierra Nevada Narwhal. Uh, oh. Yeah, so... Hey, I, I, hang on while Warren... For those interested in uh, oh. getting some great deals on barrel-aged novel, we've got both the 2021 and the 22 in the cool room uh, Shopify at the moment. Uh, just check out our Shopify wherever you shop. Fantastic. That was lucky. Yeah, such, such, such a great beer. And um, that was uh, 10 years ago. And that was like my real... Uh, you know, gateway beer. I was like, I can't believe there's so much flavor in this small little bottle. And then after that, here I am. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Look, the, the other question we've asked, and Justin, I know we asked this back of you in the time, but, you know, in terms of times when beers didn't go to plan, particularly dark beers, for you and Joe, the traditional cool room question, you know, was there a time that something went disastrously wrong that you'd like to share? Uh, I, I will say that so far in my short time here at Fox Friday, the team down there has either not done anything terribly wrong or has not told me about it. So as far as I can tell, everything, tell is, everything is awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you do. I'm sure you do. That's what I would do. No, but I mean... And, so, and it clearly didn't happen at Deeds, who are our friends. It clearly didn't happen when you were uh, working with never. Mass and Hawkers, no, who are no. our friends. Didn't happen at Holgate. No, but, but perhaps another mysterious brewery that we won't name. So yeah, you... no, no. Look, we um, we've had problems the whole way through. I've had, I remember instances in Huckers. I remember instances in Deeds. I would think that one that would be good on this one is we had we brewed this Imperial Stout, and when we got into the kettle to go for our overnight boil and do everything with it, uh, one of the steam valves failed on the brew kit. And so we couldn't boil the beer. And now it's like a ticking time bomb, right? Like this is a problem. So we found out that basically because we collected such a small volume of beer, it was below 
the upper jacket and the middle jacket is the one that failed. So the bottom jacket wasn't providing enough steam and heat to boil it. So we ended up having to pull out the valves and switch them and do all this kind of stuff. But we eventually did boil the beer and, and got it through. But you never know what's going to happen. Like everything was going to plan. We got through this incredible water and it was just such a pain and we did it. And Joey's like, everything's awesome. We're fine. And then I was like, it's not boiling. And then it was like, oh, this is a whole other problem we have to deal with. Um, but, you know, that's what it is. It's basically like you get your duct tape, your pencil, your, your paper clip, and then you go in and MacGyver it and you make it happen so that we can get it fermenting in tank, right? And how about so, you, Joe? Is there a sort of a particular moment where you can peel back the curtain a little bit and let us know that not everything goes to plan? I really wish I could, but that's... We do pretty well, like, down in Hobart, I guess. Our water's so soft, and um, you've got to be really careful with dark malts down here. Um, otherwise, your mash pH will be, like, below 5 into the mid-4s. So, you know, not terrible, but just something you really need to take note on. Um, yeah, but apart from that, nothing, honestly, has gone wrong, to be honest, for now, touch wood. So. We look forward to having you back on the show at some stage in the future where you'll have some uh, some disasters to, to tell us. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what we're working for, Joe. Don't, <laughs> no. don't listen to him. That's I not what like we want. <laughs> I was about to throw to Warren for our sort of last question with you guys, but I neglected to ask one which James, uh, a very loyal listener and uh, supporter of the podcast, put into our uh, into the chat. I made a point of writing it down so I wouldn't forget and then have nearly forgotten. But um, we've talked a lot about the malts in the beer here, but can you tell us a bit about the hops that are uh, contained within as well? And in particular, Hercules, spelt with a K. Um, yeah, Justin, uh, for me, Hercules is a, just a super clean, high-alpha, bittering hop. And because the beer is like malty and adjunct heavy. Like those are the stars of the show. We just needed something that was like high alpha, clean, hit our like intended target for IBUs. And that's pretty much all. And because it's high alpha, you can use just a little bit as well. So you get a little more work recovery, but that's literally all the thinking there. Is it yeah. a hop that we should know or is it a relatively new one or just one that brewers have in their kit bag and don't talk about much? No, um... I think for this, uh, Justin, like I've never used Hercules before coming to Fox, but it wasn't highly like sought after. I would use Magnum in a heartbeat. Love Magnum. It's just yeah. other hops like that. Yeah, I definitely think that, I think Hercules has come from, I would dare say it came from Benny when he's, he was originally brewing at the brewery over in, uh, over at the industrial park before they set up the commercial facility. He came back from the States having befriended and gotten along with a, a lot of breweries there in Texas where he was living. And I would think that, you know, he got the opportunity to play around with Hercules while he was over there. And then he basically brought it with him. Right. And the nice thing about it is, is it achieves all the boxes, right? It ticks the boxes that you need when you're making a beer. And that's the most important thing when it comes to developing new recipes and raw materials. Cause I agree with you. I, I hadn't really ever played with it before. Um, you know, I, I saw it here and started tracking its use. Yeah, we've, we've used it for years, um, on and off, depending on the beer. That's that's one of those super high alpha hops that home brewers wouldn't get much of a chance to play with because unless you've got a, 
a microgram scale, you could throw out your bitterness and your home. <laughs> I made another double IPA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, are there any of your beers in particular that we'd know it from? Is there sort of those oh, ones? It, where... It's really just a bittering hop. We don't use it for anything else, but um, an early edition. So it's, it's great for high, high big beers, high gravity beers, um, just to reduce the, the hop load in the kettle. So as Joe said, you get, get more, um, more extract. There you go. Um, so last question uh, for this one before we move on to the Boat Rock ESB, which is beer number three for anyone who hasn't cracked it, and I've just ruined the surprise. Uh, it's okay. I can edit that out in the podcast version. But... Yeah, but for everyone in the room, suck eggs. Um, <laughs> what, so apart from wandering around uh, Ballarat uh, sipping this one down, where would you envisage... Uh, in the world drinking this, drinking the Fox Friday pastry stout. And you don't have to encourage people to go to Ballarat just because no, you no, enjoy I mean, going there. <laughs> or Hobart. We're just talking about cold places. This is awesome. <laughs> so the editing begins. Go ahead, Joey. Do you want to answer first? Uh, like for me, I always fall yeah. into the trap of like, I'm about to go to bed, but I was like, oh, you know what? Little nightcap, like Marzen said. So. I'd have probably cracked it then, or if I had a dinner party and I had some friends, I'd probably just crack it there as well. Just keep it, you know, low-key and fun rather than getting too serious about it. But uh, how about yourself, Justin? Oh, man. You know, for me personally, I would love to just put on my Big Lebowski sweater. I'd like to. <laughs> Is that what was making you sneeze? Are you a yeah, I was just to your own sweater. Put it on, you know. And then I would say 7 a.m., Everyone in my house is asleep. No one can bother me. I don't have to change a nappy. I don't got to look at a drawing of me as a fat stick man. None of it. I'm out on the front porch. I got the pastry. I got the espresso. I got the beer. The sun is coming up. I'm hearing the birds and the possums go back. And I think it would just be a great way to start off a Sunday. Now, I had to start this at 2 p.m., and that's fine, and that works, but I think... Alone, cold, outside, the walnut coffee flavors paired, maybe a whiskey back. It is 7 a.m., I don't know. But, um, yeah, it'd be lovely. It'd be lovely. Uh, the reason I find that particularly amusing and, and apt is because it reminds me of one of the first times we ever did anything with Carwin Cellars. Mm. And we had ended up with the, uh, the Magnificent Seven, I think, and the Fabulous Five incorporating an adroit theory beer and the team from adroit theory got up over in the u.s and were there at five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning drinking the most ridiculous macadamia coffee imperial stout yeah uh, more Even or less the... under a blanket so they wouldn't disturb the rest of the family the justin method yeah <laughs> yeah yeah when you're you know when you're a brewer mm. <laughs> time is fluid <laughs> so like you know <laughs> You're, you got a fuse going at 6 a.m. You have to taste, you know, you have to have a taste to make sure your fuse is where you want it. Or you go through the cellar and taste everything. Or packaging starts at 9 a.m. and you have to go down and have a little taste. So it's like, yeah, it's probably frowned upon in the greater world or whatever. And, you know, it's not like you can just get on the piss. But at the same time, like, you are drinking beer at odd hours. You're not necessarily having it at lunch with a parmi, parma or you're having it at dinner. You know, you might have to try something here or there or do a tasting. So... It pays to be flexible. Now, I was probably joking a little bit with a 7 a.m. start. I would get out there at 6.30. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take that as our little opportunity. We're going to have a break in a second, but, guys, 
awesome to have Fox Friday on the show for the first time officially. Uh, where do we find your socials and how do we make sure we keep up to date with all the news? Uh, Joey, I, we're on Instagram, I believe. Yes. Yes. That's we one have place. Fox Friday Brewery on uh, Instagram. That is a place to go. And that Facebook, is a place. Facebook. Oh. So, yeah. I don't know anything about Facebook. Not on it, but that's apparently available as well. And then there's our website as well. And hopefully in the next few months, there will be a place in Richmond where you can come and sit down and have a beer. And I hope that all of you will come for that as well once we get that up and running and open. So exciting times ahead. Awesome. And I uh, look forward to being sponsored by you as much as uh, you're sponsoring Sizzletown uh, by Tony Martin, one of my other favourite podcasts. Always happy to throw out some uh, friendship there. You guys are going to stay on the line with us and we're going to pause for a few moments here. And then Matt, who's been waiting very patiently without any of the beers because of his awful, awful staff, is going to we're going to sit around and taste the Boat Rocker beer up next. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, I'm a bit dusty, so this will probably just blow off the dust very nicely. I think. <laughs> Excellent to have everyone still on board with the first of our mega episodes here as part of the Carwin Black Box tastings. Uh, we have enjoyed two amazing beers, and Mr. Wu, we're about to sit down with number three from our friends at Boat Rocker. Should we get? Should we maybe start with? Asking Matt uh, about giving us a little bit of a tasting journey of this beer and did it hit all the points that he was hoping it would? Um, yeah, look, it, it does. Well, this is a pretty, from a brewer's perspective, it's a simple beer to make. It's uh, pretty much got, you know, one malt, Thomas Fawcett, uh, floor malted Maris Otter, which is a long way of saying really nice English style malt or English malt, um, and a little bit of crystal malt. Uh, it's got one hop, East Kent Goldings. Um, that's it, really. And then it was put into uh, freshly emptied starwood barrels. Um, we use a, an English ale yeast as our house strain here, uh, 007, which is a, a really nice um, workable English ale strain. Um, just provides nice ester profile. Um, and so I think that the beer sort of hit the mark that we wanted it to, which was whiskey should play a prominent role in the beer, um, which it definitely does uh, on the nose, the, the whiskey is there, but then you also get this nice sort of almost vanilla-y marshmallow character um, coming through, which is both the barrel but also the malt um, and then the esters of the of the yeast. Um, yeah, it's, and the nice thing about a beer like this, I've, I've got a, a little brewer's stash that, that um, I can just, and it, in winter, perfect time of year, I can just have a can sitting at 11 degrees because that's the temperature at the moment in the brewery and it's the perfect temp to drink it at. Um, and it can just stay at that temp all day, really. Um, so it's, it ends up being yeah, exactly where we, where we aim for. Um, how much has your long history of, of working with barrels kind of gone into something like this, like in, in terms of how you wanted to express and, and what you're expecting? Um, look, when we've been working for barrels for a long time, we've been really lucky. Uh, I think having that relationship with Starwood when they trust us to put uh, good beer into into their barrels, um, so they're more than happy to to give us barrels. Um, not saying that there hasn't been some trial and error, but I guess I mean, without having had those barrel opportunities beforehand, um, most of it was just gut instinct and, and what you think uh, 
you smell something and you go, if you put your nose in a barrel, you smell it, be it a wine barrel, whiskey barrel, bourbon barrel, and you, your brain connects to a beer that you may have made or, or drunk that wasn't barrel aged, but you go, you, there's, there's similarities of, of aroma profile and maybe you've consumed the whiskey or the wine and you go, well, there's similarities to, to the beer as well. And you just make this mental connection to that it should work. Um, and I'd say 99% of the time it does sort of achieve what we wanted it to achieve. Um, sometimes things might be a little bit dominant. Um, and so you can always do, do blender batches uh, to maybe just minimise some of the, some of the, um, the, the over, over-dominant notes from the barrel, um, which we, we've definitely done um, over the years uh, just to help bring things more into balance. Um, a beer like this, though, I think we, we didn't really want to shy away. We wanted it to be whiskey forward. This is black box after all, so we had to make sure that uh, it was a beer that, that um, really allowed everything to jump out. The Being black box, as you mentioned, uh, there was always going to be a tonne of really big, super dark, super heavy beers, and this isn't that. Uh what was the thinking? Are you a little kind of when you when you think there's going to be those those kind of really large imperial stouts and the blacker, darker beers? Um, putting in a beer like this is is quite different. It is. Look, and I think that's something that you know, we we did Amanar. Do we do a, a big imperial stout? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it came down to timing and what we had available in barrel that was uh, that was going to come out. And the only beer that we really had in barrel that was ready to come out. Um, was Ramjet, um, and as as much as we love Carlin, we can't launch Ramjet in black box. Uh, that that can't work that way, unfortunately. So it's all uh, right. Ben's off the podcast now. You can say what you what you like. He won't listen. <laughs> I just. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. I think. I don't know. To me, yeah, the black box inference is that it's going to be dark and heavy and and uh, really big and multi. But also, I think that's where an ESB can showcase malt. Um, and be big and not necessarily heavy in the same sense that an imperial stout might be, but it, it's, um, it's one of those things where simplicity and malt uh, can still hold its own. Can, can I ask, um, I'm fat, I love the colour of this beer. It's just a great thing to look at. How much is the barrel ageing process contributing to the colour? Is this the colour that it looked like when it went in? Is it the wood that affects it, or is it just the ageing itself? Or... It's much lighter than this. So um, the casks we got from Starwood were X... Um, well, they're all X, X, mostly nowadays X red wine casks. Yep. Um, a touch of colour would definitely have come from the barrel ageing. Um, minor oxidation. This was not aged for a long period of time. Uh, I think we were looking at something like four months in in cask. Uh, we didn't really want it to to be all about the oak. Um, there's a little bit of tannin coming through, um, but it was really just about, I guess, the, the whiskey character, bringing that ESB uh, together. Um, so... We asked the other brewers, and we, we were kind of always fascinated about the, the challenges which occur when it comes to, to brewing a beer. Um, does having such a simple 
kind of a, a fairly simple base beer before it goes into the the uh, barrels mean that there's no challenges involved that you you can quite easily just kind of stroll into this one and and drive it down the ground for four i think you, you can definitely stuff it up by making something too simple and then the the barrel uh and the ingredients that were in the barrel can dominate um but i guess we, we chose uh sort of known over the years that the the high alcohol uh, English style with the esters and everything else can cope with the whiskey character um, from Starwood. Um, yeah, so yeah, not not really many worries from from our end about um, how it would go in in the barrel. Definitely. Um, it's, Shannon here in the uh, in the chat, and I agree completely. Saying so a bit of lime flavour or zest. Here. Okay, some citrus notes. Yeah, interesting. I, I certainly get that, and I guess it brings my mind to think about boilermakers and so forth. Uh, you know, would you be pairing it with exactly the same, uh, you know, whiskey that came out of the barrel, or is there something that you guys have been experimenting with uh, out in your distillery that you might have a little play with? Yeah, look, I mean, you could definitely pair this with a, a whiskey makes sense. It's a logical pairing to go to uh, have a Starwood. Um, I think these were twofold. Um, from memory, uh, the ramjet. We sorry, I can see it. And, and a question popped up from Carl: with, Were these twofold barrels? Um, Carl's clearly got a great palate. <laughs> but uh, I, I think they were. We, we have ramjet barrels, uh, the the Nova red wine cask. Um, but these are, I'm pretty sure, these were twofold um, barrels. Uh, sorry, what was that question again? I've got sidetracked with the. Uh, oh well, is there anything from? Anything that you've been distilling out uh, out there that you'd pair it with rather than just the obvious? uh, Yeah, look, we we make lots of weird and wacky stuff. We've just did a little showcase last night of uh, ramjet whiskey. So we distilled ramjet four years ago, um, two years in bourbon barrel and then two years in a a Pedro Jimenez barrel. Um, So it's got some really nice sweet notes to it, um, smooth, easy drinking, and it was cast strength, so... That was 58% of, uh, of, of deliciousness, which might explain why um, I'm only just uh, dusting off the cobwebs. But um, I think it also explains why some of our friendly cool rumens who are going to be on the show, on the broadcast today here in the Zoom room, uh, are still out wandering somewhere between Moorabbin and the CBD. Yeah, they couldn't get Ubers probably. That's the, uh, the downside <laughs> thing of a, uh, having the venue in an industrial precinct in the southeast Melbourne. But, um, yeah... Um, Shannon here in the call room asked, follows up with a great question about you know, the Pedro barrels. How easy or hard is it to get those? Uh, difficult. So, unfortunately, not enough people in the world are drinking sherry. Um, I, I encourage everyone to drink more sherry because the more sherry you have, oh. it's a beautiful drink. It's funky, it's wild, but it can also be sweet and delicious. Um, it's compl- complex. Um, it's a really lovely way. And if everyone drank more sherry then we'd have more Pedro barrels and we'd have more sherry barrels. We'd have more uh, sherry uh, cask whiskey from uh, Scotland, Australia. Um, yeah, they're, it's a great drink, but it's one of those things where I think um, they're expensive, unfortunately, uh, these costas. Well, we, we did a shipment with Hop Nation, um, would have been a year, two, two, at least two years ago now because it was the whiskey was in the Pedro barrels for two years um, and they were US wise. I think they were 600 bucks each, um, 600 US. So a thousand bucks, which for us is a lot of money. <laughs> um, 
especially when we get the, the Starwoods for for virtually nothing. Um, so obviously different character with Pedro, but the really the one the one thing that I want uh, with with Pedro is barley wine. So that's something that's going to be exciting for us as we're going to have um, the barley wine go into this barrel when we empty it fully. Um, because the world needs more Pedro and the world needs more barley wine. I agree. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah, both true. And, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not sure how much of both people, yeah, people just don't appreciate how good both are. Um, yeah. Is uh, I was just going to go on a little different tangent. Given it's the, your, the first time uh, on the podcast, where does the name Bo Rocket come from? Um, back in the day when we started, uh, which is a long time ago now, nearly 14 years, we, I'd traveled a lot, um, with backpack on traveling around, uh, Europe, uh, with a little pocket guide to beer. And that was my guidebook. Um, and I was just going from brewery to bar, uh, for 12 months, different, different cities, different countries. Um, and I was absolutely blown away by how many amazing beers that were out there. And coming back to, to Melbourne, it was pretty slim pickings back in the late 90s. Um, might have been getting some little creatures across uh, the Nullarbor. Um, there was some mountain goat. There were a couple of small little brew pubs here and there, but really it was, you were limited. You may have, if you were lucky, you may have gone to a pub that had Stella Artois on tap um, uh, next to, you know, Carlton Draft and... VB. Um, there were, weren't really huge amounts of options apart from some bottle imports that were generally heavily oxidised and pretty crap. And so the idea was, well, if we're going to do a brewery, we need to make beers that we'd had on our journeys overseas and, and challenge the challenge the status quo a little bit. And Rock the Boat was sort of born from there. That makes absolutely perfect sense. I've got to got to say. And nowadays we're sort of we're 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 I don't know I think the, the world has caught up to to what has happened out you know in the rest of the world so there is a, a an amazing um, amazing uh, you know selection of beers that are coming out um, from you know breweries all around Australia and really we've embraced craft beers obviously done an amazing thing in the last you know ten years. Matt, do you have an early memory of an ESB that you've tried? I know it's a homebrewer's kind of first real foray into to something exotic usually. But, um, yeah, have you got some ESB memories that uh, you'd like to share with us? Oh, my, my most favourite uh, memory, I think, was um, sitting in a little pub in England uh, with hand pump full of ESB and just having, having that moment of just going... And the beautiful thing about the beer over there when it is fresh and on hand pump and, and done so well. It's just a, a very um, easy way to, to, you know, enjoy a beer. Um, and that was probably my, my fondest memory ESB-wise, without a doubt. But having said that, locally, back in the day, um, I don't know if they still make it, but I know um, Hargraves Hill used to do a, a, a really interesting mm. interpretation with uh, Australian hops. It was more like an IPA, to be fair. Um, and there's that fine line, what is an ESB and what's an IPA and where does the world of beer styles meet? Um, but that's probably another discussion for another day. But it's, um, it's one of those fascinating things. 
I guess we, we've asked that question of some of the other brewers on today about bits of equipment that are important in the making of this beer. Is it all down to the barrels, really, with this once the sort of beer's been made, or is there a little bit of kit out there that uh, is particularly important to the process or just generally that you are, that you are very happy to have in the brewery? Um, look, I mean, something like this, you could, you could make this at home pretty easily with some... Uh, you can get some staves, buy, buy some bottles of Starwood whiskey and soak those staves and then um, lightly toast the staves before soaking and then put them into, the, into a keg or a corny keg with the beer and you'd be able to achieve a similar result. Um, might lack the romance of a barrel, but uh, achievable. Um, but look, I think for us, kit-wise, dealing with barrels... Barrel spear is probably the the most um, the one piece of kit that works that we love. Uh, we we started out with a really bad barrel spear and we spent too much money on it. And then we found a, a place in America um, that makes amazing barrel spears. They cost a lot of money, but they're worth their weight uh, because they just make emptying barrels uh, so much easier. <laughs> I love it. Um, I suppose the the question that we'd also ask the other brewers, which we kind of love because it gives us a sense of, of what the beer is, uh, where would you be found drinking this? Where would you in particular? I know, yeah, you can grab one when you're in the brewery and it will be perfect temperature, perfect 11 degrees, which is awesome. But um, do you imagine somewhere you'd be drinking this? I would like to be... Well, to be fair, being overseas right now is a very appealing uh, <laughs> thought. But I would rather love than to be... Canberra or Ballarat or Hobart, for instance. Yeah, no, I think I'd rather be in, in a little beer garden somewhere uh, in uh, in the UK. Just having it on a hand pump, I think, would be a, an absolutely cracking place to have this. Oh yeah, yeah. Shout out to the florist in uh, Bethel Green, which. I could see definitely you could, the, yeah, the Florist Hotel would definitely be a place where this would go down a treat. Friends from Fox Friday, did you have any particular reflections on the beer that's in front of us now Is it in terms of, you know, it's quite a step up and change from the ones we've just been having? Yeah, Justin didn't send me any, so I'll just uh, hang on your words vicariously. <laughs> I got these from Benny's house, but uh, yes. yeah, nice. um, no, look, uh, it's lovely. It's really lovely, you know, but Rocker... They've been doing this for a long time, and um, in terms of getting the, uh, the right flavors they wanted to into that barrel and then pulling out what they did, I think they did a, a bang-up job on it. It's um, very easy to sip. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And yeah. uh, the barrel just it comes through, but it doesn't really dominate. I find that it kind of blends seamlessly with uh, the malt, making it like a one-package deal. You know, there's no real ABV there, and there's just a nice sweet sweetness on the finish. Yeah, no, it's lovely. Thank you. Much lovely. Good nice job, time. Matt. Yeah, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joey. <laughs> Do you guys ever, have you guys ever sort of caught up before? I mean, it's always interesting to us. You know, some breweries do a lot of collabs. Some do very few. Boat Rocker probably do less than some of the others. Is that a fair sort of statement, Matt? Yeah, I guess so. But we do, we do... Do collabs, I guess. Oh, it's just one of those things. I don't know. I like. I think maybe that's one of those funny things about Boat Rocker and the, the the name, whether people think we're bigger than we are, but we are absolutely minuscule in terms of uh, production, output, and staffing. 
So most of the time um, we're running around like headless chooks. I think we've, we've got uh, we've got a head brewer, Kirsten, myself, um, and we've got a, a, a new um, new junior brewer on as well. Um, I do all the distilling. Um, so it's it's where we're definitely stretched. So it's um, it's one of those one of those things where I think we're we're definitely a small team. So doing more things, I I do like the idea of collaborating more. We we do it with some international breweries because I I like the idea of being able to travel to the country of origin to <laughs> do the reciprocal brew over there. So we did a great one with De Molen in the Netherlands. Um, I think we need to find somewhere in Fiji or. <laughs> especially for this time of year would be awesome. Are you a bit over the Melbourne winter? Is that what we're really getting out of this year? Uh, I actually I hate summer. I'm I'm an Englishman. Uh my well, I'm an Australian, but my my dad is English and my mum is um Australian but of Irish uh descent. And I don't cope well with anything over twenty six degrees. So <laughs> I sweat profusely. Not that anyone needs to know that, but um, it's one of those things where I, I enjoy when it gets to this time of year, mainly because the the beers I can drink work so well. So Imperial Stouts, anything uh, over, you know, dark, malty, um, it, it's the perfect time of year for them. Well, I dare say we'll invite you to Richmond, Matt. Vacation in Richmond. Come up. North, north of the river or south of the river? I, I, I don't yeah, know. yeah, come, come. Come to Hobart. Come, come to Hobart. No. Well, yeah, I'll, be up, I'll be up for that. I think we will, yeah, we'll finally make a beer. It's been too long. Yeah, I met, no, I'm all I'm, up for that for sure. Yeah, I met Matt a long time ago. I showed up before I even got into brewing at Boat Rocker. Oh, and I almost, day. I remember that, yep. Yeah, yep. and when I was working, splitting between, between Holgate and Hawkers, it was almost an opportunity to go to Boat Rocker, but then, yeah, just the travel, because I was living up here in McLeod, it didn't work, and ended up working at Hawkers with John, and here we are now. Funny yeah. how that all works out, isn't it? Exactly. No, I'm definitely up for that. We can, I do like the idea of transporting a, a beer on by boat. We can, we can do a boat trip with a barrel beer. Oh! <laughs> we'll to... brew a barrel beer, you brew one, we'll cross each other on the river. I think that would be, that would be a lot of fun. And then the barrels get transported to the other breweries where they're blended into the batch, and that's the collab. Yes, yes. Um, love it. You could go another stage further and, and swap, you know, roughly at the sort of King Island Cheese Factory or something like that if you decided to do the Tasmanian brewery instead. I do like that. Meet halfway. Ooh. Have some crayfish. I'm always up for, always up <laughs> for some, some crayfish. <laughs> I like it. I like this. I like where this is going. And, and now I get to come for the trip because I suggested that bit. <laughs> and it's yes. all deductible. Brilliant. <laughs> We've got a few audience questions here. Thank you so much to everyone who's joined us here in the Zoom room. If you're listening into the podcast for episode one of our four mega episodes, make sure you join us on Zoom for future uh, for the next three. Uh, and if you're in the Zoom room, feel free to uh, type your question in and we'll unmute you. The first person we're going to unmute is James. So, James, if you'd like to unmute and ask your question, please, uh, all about having beer on hand pumps, particularly from our friends at the courthouse. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, wonderful afternoon. Thanks, Joe, Justin and Matt. I wanted to ask Matt a question about whether you had a plan to sort of, I guess, court 
people like the courthouse who have a an ESB tap basically ready to roll and um, also whether you could leverage them to pour pints rather than schooners, that would fill my heart. Yeah, I think the, I mean, the, the pint, the volume uh, is a tough one. If the venue doesn't do it, um, I guess they do it for a reason. But um, look, hand pumps are uh, amazing. I don't, I'm not, I know that uh, the number of pubs uh, around Melbourne have hand pumps, but they're, they're not, they, I guess they're, the traditional method of hand pumping is to actually have a cask underneath the bar with a live culture during, and actually has fermentation uh, occurring and the, the cellar master will feed that barrel or that cask uh, with some sugar to keep the, uh, the small amount of carbonation and the yeast a little bit happy. Um, most hand pumps around Melbourne these days uh, just need virtually like a beer at the end of fermentation, which has got a small amount of CO2 trapped in solution, um, so that when you hand pump uh, and they run it through what they call a sparkler disc, that will cause the small amount of CO2 to come out and form a nice, uh, nice, nice head. Um, but it's from a keg and they're replacing the, the beer. When they pump, they're actually pumping CO2 back into the keg to help push it through. Um, whereas the traditional one will be pushing air into the, into the cask to keep the yeast alive with a bit of extra oxygen. And over time, if it's not consumed quickly enough, it turns into a really horrible uh, drinking experience. Um, but whether, whether pubs these days have got the full kit, but having said that, they're still delicious when it's just the CO2 pump version. Um, when we do, we send our, our plain old stout around Melbourne to hand pump kegs. And what they ask for and what we do is give them a beer straight off, uh, un, straight off the fermenter, basically. Um, we've, we've find the beer. We just give them a beer that's got some residual CO2 uh, in the keg and that's uh, in, the, in the beer, I should say, and then send that keg out direct to, to, the, to the venue. Um, and that, that works best for, for everyone. Mm, good call. Shannon, let's have you unmuted next and um, you're interested in asking a bit more about what's going on on the distilling front. Or not. Sorry, I thought you were, <laughs> thought you were unmuting me because that was something I was already struggling with. Those these three beers have been a bit bit excessive. Um, I do actually. Sorry, want, mate. <laughs> that's all good. It's a, I did want to ask a question about. Um, I haven't been to Boat Rocker for a very long time, and it was a Facebook group's pub crawl from many years ago when I was last down there, mm. um, and I managed to pick up a bottle of Hippocampus a little 250ml bottle, which I still have put away in the cupboard. Um, I've since bought uh, the Ramjet uh, whiskey that uh, yep. was... Yeah, the coffee Ramjet whiskey, yeah, which you... Um... Was it 2017, was it? Was yeah, it? that was, yeah. Yeah, and um, I was just wondering, because I haven't heard much, where the distillery efforts are at these days. Um, look, where we are doing... We're, lots of different weird and wonderful things. So we're distilling beer uh, a lot. So we've, we've released um, a whole range of uh, aperitivos and, and amaros that are beer-based spirits um, because beer, when you distill beer, it's got a different flavour and texture profile to, to neutral grain spirit, which is what most gin makers will be using. Uh, so we find we can get a really different mouthfeel and, and flavour profile. Um, 
we're doing beer whiskies or about to release our Ramjet whiskey, uh, the Pedro Jimenez cask one. We've got, we did a, a fantastic um, Christmas gin, which was uh, called Felice Navidad with um, lactic fermented. We like bacteria here, so we, we house fermented our own jalapeno peppers and got some cacao nibs and uh, did it like a mole uh, gin. So we're, we're, we're experimenting all the time, um, coming out with some uh, different spirits, aquavits, uh, all sort of using different different base spirits. Awesome. And look, Tim, we might get you to unmute because, Tim, I think you've got a question for all of the brewers in the room and it's probably a really nice place to, to finish on in terms of looking to the future and the styles. It's midwinter here in Melbourne, Australia. We're excited to think about what might be coming next. And I'll keep on talking until Tim... Under, there you go. Tim is unmuted. Thank you, brother. Thanks. Far away. Um, what do you think is going to be the next fad with craft beer, either side pool beers or wild ferments? I think wild ferments have had their time. Um, and I, I say that in not a way... F- they'll always have their time. They'll always have a place. But in terms of the, the fad aspect of it, um, I think that... The market, unfortunately, the nature of, of wild ferment beers, they are expensive to make, they're expensive to do well, and they're expensive to buy. Um, and in the current climate, uh, it means that those who specialise in that will have a harder time potentially making it uh, a going concern. Um, and if that's your only source, then I think that that's, that's, means that it's going to be tough tough going. The, the, They'll always be around and they'll always have a place, without a doubt, and we will always do them. But I think uh, side pull, um, you know, the the need for... Uh, I, and brewers have definitely been pushing for it for years. Classic Pilsners and Lagers, uh, absolutely stunning beers to drink. And when done well, they're incredible. When done poorly, they're average. Um, and that is the the... The trick, I think, to, for all brewers to master, and it's the same with wild ferments. When they're done well, they're amazing. When they're done poorly, they're very average. Um, and if they're a lot of money as well, and that's where the price point meets. So I think the side pull uh, with some fantastic locally brewed Czech-inspired Pilsners um, is going to be the next big thing. Well, those, those taps are outrageously expensive. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they're so expensive. Justin and Joe, did you have a bit of a thought on those kinds of beers? I would like the next big fad in craft beer to buy to be for people to continue to buy it. <laughs> 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 yes. That would be like a massive win for I think everybody here, uh, given the current market and the way things are going. I mean, everybody's kind of doing what they have to do to get through. But yeah, I mean, for me, I think that uh, just encouraging people to continue to buy local and think about what they want to buy and if they want a, uh, a locally made small batch drink versus the other thing, that's uh, going to be incredibly important because, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's very uncertain out there, to put it mildly. That, I wasn't going to ask one more question, but it does sort of lead to that. And obviously just in our regular cool room shows, we've spoken about the fact that some of our very favourite breweries of, uh, in Melbourne in particular have been closing, some of our favourite venues likewise. Uh, you know, we're a bit of a record of the of the beer drinking times in Melbourne through COVID and beyond. Um, 
you know, is it a market that you're having to think about how you adapt to? Are there things that you're doing differently? Because both of you are known both for, you know, a great core range of beers, but also some, some flights of fancy that make it a more expensive product. Are you having to think about how all of that works at the moment? Yeah, oh, definitely. We're, um, we, we love our barrel-aged beers, and that, that's, that's our playground. Uh, and I point over there because that's where the barrel room is. I'm in the brewery side. Um, and the, the, those beers are, are fun to make, fun to drink, um, but the bread and butter, without a doubt, is the core range product. So, um, yeah, I think that definitely definitely means when we've had to adjust some of our limited releases before we'd be re releasing, you know, seven, eight percent limited releases, alcohol that is, because um, to me that's where the fun starts. But uh, our sales team is saying they need to be cheaper, so we're doing more like five, five and a half percent um, beers. And for the Foxy friends? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, at the moment, I mean, we only have the one brewery down in Muna producing. And when we do a limited run on that brewery, you know, you're only talking about 100 cases, um, which isn't a lot, you know, based on the volume that, you know, when we were at Deeds and what we were trying to push through on limiteds. I think like having 100 cases, the market is at the moment across all of Australia, that's absorbable. So, you know, in terms of having limited releases every three weeks and being able to kind of make those slightly different beers for that, um, we have been doing that. But there has been a massive focus on core range, you know, in terms of trying to grow that and get it in more places and trying to get a, you know, a hold on, say, Victoria before the brewery opens and then ultimately Perth when that brewery opens. So, yeah, I would say it's a balance. I think it's a, it's a tough market out there and you have to pick and choose what you want to do and you have to be aware of how much volume of a particular product you make because, I mean, at the end of the day, limited means limited. And if there's a lot of it, it's not limited. Yeah. So, you know, we, our ethos has been to keep it very small batch, keep it so that the people that want it can get it and then it's gone and then it kind of follows the next batch and then continuing to grow the, the core range um, as you have to do the craft brewery. Yeah. Awesome, guys. I reckon that's a great place to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Justin, Joe, Matt and Maz earlier on. Thank you, Mr Warren Wu, uh, for being part of the show. Thank you, David. That was, that was quite amazing. It's, uh, it's been a great lineup of beers. We thoroughly encourage everyone, well, first and foremost, not to own an English setter because my one has just broken down the barrier into our little studio again for the, about the fourth time while we're recording. So don't own a large dog. Do buy beers. Do support your local breweries and your local venues that sell them. And um, make sure you tune in for the next three of our mega episodes we're going to stop recording, and that way we can all sit around and chat about the beers in our glasses without fear of being outed for the outrageous things that we might say.